Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. You've got a word from the Lord. You've got a message to deliver. You're delivering it. You're on the way, serving the Lord. So he stops you in your path and says, hey, rejoice. And by the way, perhaps rejoice is in all we need to hear. Some, well, he said, do not be afraid. Stop fearing, more literally. Rejoice and stop fearing. In our final broadcast from the book of Matthew, today we present part two of Pastor Sam's message, Resurrected. We begin today in verse nine. Jesus is alive. He is going about gathering with his disciples again to give them instruction as to what is next. Well, what is next? Let's listen in so we can know what is next for you and I. So as they went, verse nine, to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. I love that. As I just go out to do what the Lord gives me to do, the Lord continually meets with me. He knows that I can't represent him on my own. He knows that I'll flop entirely, completely. And so he meets with me and he speaks to me and he encourages me. And well, and that's what's happening here. They're filled with awe and and wonder and they're going out in obedience. And well, as they went, Jesus met with them saying, rejoice. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Four things happen as they're just on their way to deliver the message. First, they heard him. They heard him speak. And that is oh so important. I hope you know, as we study together, truly the Lord desires to speak to you through his word. And it's amazing to me, truly, that he would use me as a spokesman. But I understand it. It's his word that's alive and powerful. I'm just, well, like a Western Union, if you're old enough to remember them. I guess they're still out there but mostly email today, you see. And if, if, you know, it's just the messenger, just bring in the message. But my sheep, our Lord would say, hear my voice and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. They heard him. And I hope you hear him as we open the word, as we read it together, as he says to them, rejoice. He'd be saying that to many here tonight. Listen, You're serving the Lord. You've got a word from the Lord. You've got a message to deliver. You're delivering it. You're on the way, serving the Lord. So he stops you in your path and says, hey, rejoice. And by the way, perhaps rejoice is in all we need to hear. Some, well, he said, do not be afraid. Stop fearing more literally. Rejoice and stop fearing. I've noticed that the Lord continually takes me beyond anything I'm expecting him to be able to do in or through me. Well, why? Because if it's something I can do or I I figure, well, yeah, I can handle this, well, then I really don't need him to accomplish it. But I realize that I'm in over my head, that I'm, well, beyond my own capabilities, then i got to rely on him. And if you, like me, find yourself serving in some capacity where you realize, man, this is more than I can handle. This is more than I can, I can really deal with. Well, you're in a wonderful place to hear him say, rejoice and don't be afraid. Stop fearing. I'm here 
and I'm going to use you, and I'm going to do wonderful things in and through you. So they heard him, and then they held him. We're going to get to do that in symbolic fashion tonight as we share in communion, as, as we hear his word, and then we take the bread and the cup that represents his body and his blood. We not only hear him speaking to us, but we get to hold him and, and well, grab hold of the reality that in a very real way, as I shared earlier, he's here and wanting to manifest his presence to each and every one of us. Two more things happened. They worshipped. And of course, well, we've been doing that. And I hope as we worship, though some of the songs are newer and that, that you grab on and, and you, well, join in. You may not be a real singer, but you can be a real worshiper. And the Lord, well, he receives it and, and is blessed by it. And then they witnessed, see, they were called to be witnesses and they were on their way to witness to his resurrection. Again, as we share in communion tonight, you're going to be preaching. And if you never thought of yourself before as a preacher, Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming, heralding, preaching, it's the same word, the Lord's death until he comes. Just taking the bread and the cup, you're saying, I believe and I've received and, and I'm celebrating the reality of what our Lord has done for me. So as they were going, they saw Jesus. You will too, in the midst of doing what they were sent to do. Well, and that'll happen for each and every one of you. As they were going, verse 11, Behold, some of the guard came to the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. Now, I've read that. I can't even begin to count how many times. And for... I don't want to say the first time, but in an extraordinary way, it jumped out at me this time. And here's why. It appears these guys were the other first witnesses. See, there were some that loved the Lord and were there because they loved the Lord. And there were others who were just supposed to guard his body. And now, well, they failed in their mission. And they come and they say, hey, look what happened. I mean, there was an angel. There was an earthquake. There was this bright light. You know, we were shaking. I don't know if they told the whole truth of the story, but that's what happened. And as they get there, they, they tell them all that had occurred. And then when they'd assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. This is one of the more bizarre and yet for some reason palatable and believable of all the stories made up as to what might have happened to our Lord. Why do I say that? Well, because there are many people today, if you say, you know, Jesus rose from the dead, they'll say, no, I read some book, I think Passover plot or something, and, and it said the disciples stole the body. And you're like, what, you believe that? Well, of course, you know, it's a much better explanation than, no, it's really not, and here's why. Let, let me share a couple things. The disciples were hiding behind locked doors. They weren't about to go try and steal the body. They were just hoping they weren't next. Why? Jesus had said, hey, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Now they're starting to realize, oh, maybe he meant all that literally. They really hated me. They really hated him. They really, well, they crucified him. And you got to know, that Jesus appears to them, and where are they? They're hiding behind locked doors. They would have never come and stole the body. Not only that, 
if the guards are going to report that, well, we were sleeping and they came and stole the body, well, it's an obvious question. It's the one your five or six-year-old would ask if you read the story and tell it to them. They'll say, well, how would they know if they were asleep? Well, it's a good point. See, it's the thing that children think of that's often the very best, most profound, most clear. Yeah, how would they know if, in fact, they were asleep? They couldn't know. They wouldn't know. The other thing is, if they'd stolen the body, where was the body? All they would have had to do is go find the body. And as I shared earlier, well, it would have put an end to the whole thing. There are a couple other things, though, apart from the guards, who, by the way, they would have been under penalty of death for losing a body, even a dead body. In fact, that's why it says, if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll appease him and make you secure. So they took the money. And they did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. But, but listen, it's not really about the guards. It's about the disciples. They said the disciples stole the body. They wouldn't do it for fear. They wouldn't do it because, well, they couldn't do it. The other thing is, you have no way to account for the radical and, well, amazing transformation of the disciples themselves. They go from being people that are hiding out and freaking out to people that are boldly proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, how can you account for that change, for that transformation? I can tell you, they saw Jesus alive from the dead. So it was easy to go out and preach on the streets, Jesus rose from the dead. He died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. That's the gospel message. That's the heart of the message that transforms a life, takes them from death spiritually to life eternally. And so they went out preaching. When they were arrested and put in prison, what did they do? They didn't worry about bail. They didn't worry, how could this happen to us? No, they rejoiced that they were found worthy to suffer for their Lord. Is that amazing? And then when they were released... What do they do? Hide? Run out of town? No, they go right back out into the streets and begin to preach again when they're beaten for preaching the gospel. And they're told, stop preaching the gospel. They say, well, you're going to have to figure out whether it's right in the sight of God and man for us to listen to you or God. They had a commandment from our Lord. We'll see it here. Consider it together in the conclusion of our chapter to go and preach the gospel. So they went and did it. It was a part of what it means to make disciples. And so the disciples' transformation, well, there's no way to account for it apart from the resurrection. The disciples' success. Listen, I was reading in the paper today how some of the just major cults, they have astronomical numbers. I mean, they've just grown majorly. And there are denominations that at one time were mainstream, teaching the word, believing the gospel, preaching the truth that have just gone so far out into the ozone and, and they're still growing, many of them. And so growth isn't an automatic, well, sign of health and vibrancy. People flock to all sorts of stuff. But these were people that had to identify with Jesus by publicly being baptized and by that baptism, they would put themselves at risk of death, imprisonment, torture, well, it wasn't like raising your hand and praying a prayer and getting a Bible and then, you know, wondering if you're going to tell anyone about it. No, when they got saved, they had to publicly profess it and it put them at risk. So it's not just the radical transformation of the disciples, it's the radical transformation of those they preach to. And then finally, 
the martyrdom of the disciples. I don't know if you're up on it. These guys died preaching the gospel. If it were some kind of a hoax, if it were just something that they put together, hey, let's trick the whole world and tell them Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, first of all, it's really out of character for guys discipled by Jesus. But, well, we don't even have to deal with such an absurdity. The point is, they would have never died for the lie. They would have never died as martyrs, unless, of course, they'd seen our Lord risen from the dead. So the body wasn't stolen. No, it didn't need to be because Jesus resurrected from the dead. Then the 11 disciples, we read down in verse 16, they went into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That was kind of an amazing, well, revelation to me personally. Not just the first time I saw it. It continues to sort of amaze me. I get Thomas doubting, even though all of the other disciples said, we saw him, well, I won't believe it unless I see him. But here they saw him, and they still doubted. It's puzzling. And I'm thinking if it happened then, it could happen tonight. Some of you, as we gather together, you really see Jesus. I mean, I'm not saying visually, but in, with your heart and, and in your mind, in your worship. And that's what they did. If you know Jesus is really here, then you can and will enter into worship of him. You get past the worship team and the worship songs and you'll just realize, Lord, this is really all about you. This is all for you. This is my ministry to you. And because so many of you minister to the body, the body of Christ here at Calvary Chico, you got to know when you're worshiping, you're ministering directly to the Lord, not just pleasing him because you're taking care of others in his name. And, and well, no, you're, you're blessing him. And that's what happened. They saw him. They worshiped him. But some continued to doubt I hope that's not you tonight. I hope that you see the Lord is present. I hope that you enter into worship. I hope that as we share communion, you're not going to trip over, okay, well, is it literally his body? Let me clue you in. No, it's just a cracker. And the juice, it's just juice. And it was always that way, by the way. How can we be sure? When he said, take and eat, this is my body, he was standing before them. When he said, take and drink, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, he had not yet shed his blood for them. I don't want to say it's just symbolic, though, because it's more than symbolic, but far less than absolute literal. No, somewhere in between those two, the, the presence of our Lord is here. He, he's here apart from the bread, apart from the cup, but certainly in the bread and in the cup. He's here apart from our worship, but he inhabits the praises of his people. He's apart from the two or three gathered together, or he's here apart from the two or three gathered together, but in a very real way. He manifests himself more clearly because we're gathered together in his name. So they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority given to me in heaven and on earth. He gives the Great Commission, and, and we conclude our time together tonight with it. And, and again, for a group that is, well, many of you, most of you, I know, serving the Lord in some regular capacity, and perhaps... You're not in that category and you're, you're realizing, man, 
Maybe I should be. I'd say amen to that. You should be. There's more for you, and you're going to see it. But, but, but here's the thing. If you're serving the Lord, you want to stay in touch with what he sent you to do. And, and this is really the heart of Calvary Chico's ministry. It, it has always been, it will always be. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Great Commission Make disciples. That's what he's called us to do. Now listen, every time we gather together, and I believe this to be pretty consistent, even in the Sunday school classes, certainly in junior high and high school, and worship generation, the college ministry, I know we give an invitation, an opportunity for people to make a decision. That decision is, you either are going to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, give your life to him, turn from your sin and, and trust in him, or you're going to just go on living the life you've been living. So we press and encourage for a decision. But we're not trying to simply get people to make decisions. We're trying to make disciples. And that requires, well, more. Not just a decision to follow Jesus, but now, well, a lifestyle of doing that very thing. The first time we ever shared the gospel with our uh, young international home missions students from Japan, the Lord gave me a picture of, of well, being, being a Christian is a lot like being married. Nobody says, I do, and then they go and live their separate lives. No, they say, I do, and then they live together, and they live for one another, and they grow closer to one another. That's his plan and purpose for each and every one of us. The Great Commission is to make disciples. What is a disciple? It's someone who is, first of all and foremost, a real believer in Jesus. Not just intellectually or philosophically. The word means to trust in the Lord. You guys, if you fly, and I know many of you do, you really do trust airplanes. And uh, it's an amazing thing. We get on an airplane... If you think it through, it was probably built by the lowest bidder. And we're, we're you know, we've got some guy flying us and, and the thing gets in the air and, and we just figure it's going to get us there. Why? Most planes take off and reach their destination. But that's really a good picture of what it means to trust. You can believe that airplanes meet their destination, but when you've believed biblically, you're on the plane, you see. And if you're afraid to fly, well... You're afraid that plane isn't going to make it to the destination. That's really the bottom line. And that's what it means to trust. It means to believe, to trust, to rely upon, to, to put your full everything on the Lord and in the Lord in this case. It also means to be a servant of the Lord and a student of his word. And there's more to it even than that. But the bottom line is if you've given your life to the Lord and you're saying, what now? Study and show yourself approved. Serve the Lord with all that's in you. Next week, I think we'll talk about, because we have a week or two in between before we start our next book, we'll, we'll look at the abundant Christian life and see what, what constitutes that life. Now that we're in Christ, well, what can happen in and through us? The expanded scope I want you to take note of. Up to this point, the disciples were sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel now he tells them, I want you to make disciples of all the nations. And I think the Lord's put us in a unique position. And not only that we have people going out to many parts of the world and, and missionaries serving in many parts of the world, but we have Chico State where hundreds and hundreds of students come to us from other parts of the world. And as I was thinking about the fact, well, tomorrow we'll be out at the fairgrounds, 
There's 4,000 seats out there. I think that that's going to be some extra room, at least based on past experience. I'd love it if it fills up. But I was thinking, who are the people least likely to be invited? And really, they're the people most in need of being invited. And, and well, it's probably a little late for this year, but not too late to start praying and planning for next year. We should be inviting every international student. We should especially be inviting every international student from the Middle East. Because, man, it would be pretty hard to be living here and be from somewhere over there right now. But, but again, my point is, he says, reach all the nations. If he gives us opportunity, we need to get together and brainstorm. Maybe it's been on your heart. And you're thinking, hey, I want to get in on that. I'd like to organize that. That's something I've had a passion for, a vision for. Let's get together. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. The mission is to all nations. And then there was a public witness baptizing them. It's an important step. When we pray a prayer to receive Jesus, it's a private, personal thing. And we don't always you know, force the issue and try to make people come and stand down here. But ultimately, you need to stand up for the Lord and be a witness for the Lord. Baptism, well, the Lord says, believe and be baptized, repent and be baptized, receive and be baptized. There'll be a baptism in the next three or four weeks. I want you to be there if you've not yet been baptized. I want you to come and publicly profess your faith. The Lord wants you to come and publicly profess your faith. Then there's personal growth. Teaching them, he says, to observe all things I've commanded you. Now, I don't think it's possible to obey that commandment unless you teach regularly and systematically. And, and here's why. I'm not saying we're the only ones doing it or doing it right, but I do believe it's absolutely essential if you're going to obey this command that you teach through the Word of God. Why? There's no way to tell Him all the things He said unless you're going to go through it. And if you're jumping and skipping, and well, this may not really be a word for you guys as much as others who will spend their life doing things like what I'm doing. I wholeheartedly believe that when you start in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1 and you work your way through Matthew 28, listen, every one of you that have studied through that book, you know so much more than you realize. You have studied so much more. I, I have been to a Bible college some years back in India where, where young Christians had spent some months and weeks in preparation to go out on the mission field. And listen, nothing more important than a knowledge of the Word of God. All of the trappings, all of the things that, that we could use to get people together or make it more comfortable, none of those exist. They don't even have the tools like a Strong's Concordance. It's just the Word, the Word, the Word. And you know what happens? These guys go out knowing not very much except the Word. People get saved. They grow in the Lord. They share the Lord. The work thrives. Man, it's how he does it. It's, it's the easiest way, spiritually, practically. Well, study regularly, study systematically, and, and don't just, well, don't just say, well, we're going through the gospel or we're going through. No, read through the scriptures, familiarize yourself. Finally, there's a promise. Lo, I am with you always. He says, look, I'll always be there. I'll always be there. I'll always be there, even to the end of the age. Now, it says some worshiped, but others doubted. And we're going to worship again. And we're going to break bread. And we're going to take the cup. And we're going to celebrate his death, his burial, and his resurrection in doing so. But I want to tell you, if you are doubting, doubt is a thief. It blinds you so you don't see Jesus. It binds you so you can't serve Jesus. Doubt steals the joy that he wanted them and wants you to have. Rejoice, he said. 
Doubt causes you to fear. And he doesn't want us to walk in fear, but in faith. Back in Matthew 14, 25, Jesus' disciples were on a boat and Jesus walked out to them, walking on the water. Peter asked Jesus, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Well, it started well enough, but as soon as Peter took his eyes off of the Lord and looked at the dangers of the wind and the waves, he faltered and began to sink. In our efforts to walk with the Lord and fulfill what he asked of us in the Great Commission, we must remember there will be dangers and trials. But where Peter took his eyes off of the Lord, let's remember his mistake and not take our eyes off of the Lord, lest we falter and begin to sink. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.